Hello, everyone. Welcome back. This is the Rooted Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Panetta. As always, we are downtown in Salem, Oregon in studio today. Got a great episode lined up. Uh, Actually, our first ever fellow podcaster is on the show today. Um, So I'll introduce him in a minute. His name is Jacob Espinosa. So very excited to have him on the show. But, you know, as tradition goes, I always give my spiel of what we're doing and why we're doing it. Uh, this podcast is connected to a leadership institute that we started a few years ago. So you uh, returning listeners, you know all about it. Any new listeners, uh, we're trying to create conditions in our community for transformational change. And we thought one of those conditions is to focus on and support leadership in our community. So we created a leadership institute, a curriculum, and an entire body of work that is setting out to support leaders and really help create these conditions for transformational change. And we define transformational change really simply. It's a fundamental shift towards positive potential. Um, And we believe that's possible within individuals' lives, within organizations, and most importantly, within our community. I think our community can be um, better than it already is. So that's what we're doing. That's what this is all about. Welcome everyone for joining. And sitting across from me today is Jacob Espinosa. So Jacob, uh, I'm going to give my my brief intro of how I know you, which is just recently, and then I'll turn the time to you to just give a, a more thorough explanation. Is that cool? Great. I love it. All right. So Jacob is actually uh, uh, in our cohort this year for our Leadership Institute. Um, every year we take you know a handful of leaders through this institute, and he's, he's participating this year um, and uh, works for the chamber, but has an pretty cool background, just things that you've been into and the things that you're currently doing and what got you there. And I'll let you share about that more. Um, but, uh, you know, you were nominated by, uh, the CEO of the chamber, which is, I know where you're currently working now. Tom Hoffert was, uh, one of the leaders in our Institute last year. And so I first met you when you came in and interviewed to be a part of the, you know, to participate in the Institute. And, uh, you know, the, the short few months that I've gotten to know, you've been really fun. You know, we spent three days out at the the retreat uh, in January was, was that last month? And it feels like it's like a long time ago. It has been a weird three months at the chamber. <laughs> so I've been there for like three months, but it seems like it's been much longer than that for for some reason. Like shorter and longer at the same time. Time has just yeah. been flying. But the three days were incredible. And as somebody that's facilitated leadership trainings, like the how engaged you kept everybody. I know it's a team effort, but you were the one that was doing most of the speaking. Huh. Was pretty impressive, man. Like I was really like, man, this guy is absolutely crushing this. <laughs> and uh, something that I learned from you that I wish I would have done earlier in my career, and I've actually been doing since this session, is how intentional you are with having stories to help teach every mm-hmm. single lesson. I feel like I would have had people that attended my previous sessions would have had a better experience yeah. had I had I taken that best practice. So very grateful for the opportunity. Yeah, no. Uh, thank you. Appreciate that. And, and I'd love to come back on the on the retreat in a second. But just keep going with introducing yourself, man, because you got you have a really kind of diverse background and what got you into what you're doing now. You know, your your podcast hosts. You do consulting, coaching. You, you you're really high on on leadership and everything leadership development. So tell us about your background and what got you to where you're at. Yeah, I'm trying to think even how how far back to go with this question, but. Um, <laughs> I think I really just have this perspective um, that like people have so much value within them. It's just kind of up to us as leaders to pull that out and help people really recognize the value that they bring. Mm. Um, so 
in my 20s, I went to school at U of O, studied journalism, decided it wasn't really what I wanted to do. Like my senior year of college is like, I don't really want to do advertising, even though I spent the last four years learning about it. Um, so I just got a job doing outdoor sales. And at that time, I was also trying to uh, make a career as a rapper. Door to door? So uh, it was, yeah, B2B. So I was selling um, industrial supplies for this okay. this company. I won't say their name because they were a terrible employer. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll leave that out. Yeah. But um, yeah, I know nothing about nuts and bolts and building stuff at all. So yeah. I was trying to sell this and people could kind of recognize I didn't know what I was talking about. And I really had to leverage relationships to, mm-hmm. to get, have any success at all. Um, but at that time, I was trying to start a career as a rapper as well. So I was touring up and down the West Coast. I had one song called Oregon Homeboy yeah, that yeah. like was crushing it on MySpace. I had like 300,000 plays on MySpace. I love MySpace. <laughs> and like I thought, I swear, I, when, when the song started blowing up, I thought my dad had like hired somebody to make a bot to like generate more plays. Cause my dad's like the most supportive person ever. Yeah. And my dad, like, did he do something for this? And he's like, no, not at all. And then like I started, like people would tell me that like they had the song as their homepage. I'd go to people's p- pages and like, my song would play. It's like, whoa, like people like know about, this song. I love song. that about MySpace, man. man. That was a special time. The top eight. Yeah. And you could like do the HTML or you could put as many people as you wanted. And yeah, I, I think a lot of people learn HTML because of MySpace. Oh yeah, sure. So I had that. Um, and I, uh, after I start, stopped rapping, I actually created a, uh, an online blog we called the We Out Here magazine, mm-hmm. uh, which was focused on Northwest hip hop. And that was for me, an opportunity to really get experience in the world of leadership. Yeah. Um, I was working an entry-level job at that point, but I, I wanted to move up. So I started this blog where I had eight writers writing at one point, and we were highlighting Northwest hip-hop. So a lot mm-hmm. of people that weren't getting exposure around the nation because this area of the world, of the, of the country, was really ignored yeah. um, as far as you know that, that type of music. And so they had a place for them. And I think through that experience, I really saw the value of like when you make people part of creating something, like they really want to support it and get behind it. Yeah. Like we would have throw parties in Portland and like they would be full. We had photo booths with our logo and people would be like holding up our stickers, just like proud to be there and to be part yeah. of it. So it was cool creating a culture like that. That's cool. Yeah, I know. Uh, I knew the the kind of the the rap history. I didn't know uh, um, you did some sales. I I did my fair share of some summer sales as well. <laughs> it's a good skill to have. For it sure. is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just, I think that's one of the, you know, the unique things about you, especially, you know, that I learned in, in the leadership world, at least in our communities, that background that you have and what you learned from it, especially. Yep. I think it adds a lot of value to what you bring to the table. I think sure. a lot of leadership is, is sales as well. Like oh, selling absolutely. an idea, getting buy-in, like buy-in. A lot, there's a lot of, of similarities in, in what it takes to be a, a successful salesman and a successful leader. 100%. I had a, I had a mentor once tell me that he said, you know, Chris, there's one skill set that everybody needs to learn in life and it's selling. And that's how he explained it to me is you're always selling something, you know, doesn't matter. (laughs) doesn't matter what it is. You're always selling it. Uh, You're always trying to get an idea out there and people to buy into your ideas. Um, But whenever I share that with people, that that's a skill set I think everybody needs to have. I think they immediately go to like the door to door here. Let me take your money sort of a sell. Yeah. And like, no, the skill set of selling is, is, is you have an idea, you have uh, a concept or a product and you want people to buy into it. So a lot of it is obviously selling yourself to, you, you know, you gotta, you gotta sell yourself to people. You gotta, you know, get people to buy into your personality and, and what you're trying to do. So I think it's an incredibly helpful skill set to have. I think when people think of sales, they think of rejection immediately. Oh, yeah. And then you have this like reaction to just that thought that somebody's going to say no to me. And as humans, like we hate to hear that, right? Yeah. Like I don't want to put myself out there and be vulnerable and have somebody reject me. Yeah. Like, that's the worst thing in the world. Yeah. I was just talking about this 
uh, last night with my wife. I, uh, I am a part-time artist. Uh, and, uh, actually when you were saying that you finished your schooling in uh, journalism advertising and you realized you were going against it, I caught that a little sooner. I went to school to study art. And then my first semester, I was like, this is, I did all the art stuff in high school, yeah. AP art. Like most of my schedule was art. Um, cause I love art. Then I get into college and I'm like, man, I cannot do this as a career, but I still love art. I'm really passionate about it. So I, you know, I have this Etsy shop, it's called part-time art dad. And my wife is mainly responsible for yeah. selling things and she doesn't know what she's doing. Just like, I don't know what I'm doing. I do the art, you know, I paint the pieces and, and do everything. But uh, we were talking about last night of, of you know, we got to start putting ourselves out there. But I'm like, Ken, so you got to be ready for some rejection Yeah, because it'll be sure to come. Yeah, And she doesn't handle rejection all that well. So I was trying to prepare that <laughs> you might, you're going to have people that probably, you know, metaphorically slam the door in yeah. your face. So um you know, you got to get used to that, but she Absolutely. was uncomfortable with it. Yeah. I think working sure. past that is just, there's so much magic when you stop caring what people think. And yeah. I think that like even being on stage, like you're especially mm. um, like something I really admired about you is like, you have this ability to just like draw people into a story. And a lot of that, it seems like comes from like, I'm just going to get really vulnerable. Yeah. Like I'm just going to tell you anything yeah. right now. Stop caring. Exactly. When you stop caring, like everything just changes. Yeah. And into a lot, a lot of different formats. And I think people kind of sense that like, man, this, this person is really going there right now. And yeah. there's something that, that kind of magic happens and you, you have an ability to create, to connect. Yeah. I, when I fell in love with stories in, in college, like storytelling, like formal storytelling, um, I actually teach a class on storytelling right now at a university, but, but, uh, and so I teach this to the, to the young students is you have to, it was what you just said. You have to be willing to go to that space of vulnerability and, and, and I tell them, you got to relive your story, you know, like you got to relive it. And that can be hard sometimes, especially for the tough stories. Uh, but you have to be willing to go to that space so that other people can get there too. Um, so yeah, I guess there's a, there's a bit of me when I'm starting a story that I just kind of let all else go out the window. I want to take that course. I would love to like have you walk through the process of, of storytelling. What is it? What university is it with? <laughs> yeah. So my, I got my undergrad at, uh, at BYU Hawaii okay. in their peace building program. So, yeah. um, it's actually through, through that program. It's a okay. storytelling and in, in conflict, um, and peace building. Very so cool. I teach this, we teach this, basically teach the students the power of narrative. What an important topic power. for people to learn. Yeah. The power of stories and how, um, your stories are double-edged sword, man. Stories can can cause an uproar and an uprising that can lead to a lot of pain, right? I mean, Hitler was an amazing storyteller, right? So stories have the ability to get people rallied together and moving in a direction, and that's not always a good thing. But what we teach them in the class is to bring people together, create peace, create um, community, uh, and create a space of vulnerability. Stories can be an incredible tool to do 100%. that. 100%. Yeah, so... I'm already feeling myself becoming the interviewer. I'm going to try to resist that <laughs> urge. So I apologize. Yeah, we got two podcasters uh, <laughs> going at it. Then. Did you ever notice that when you're speaking with other coaches or other podcasters, like it almost becomes a challenge of who's going to be asking yeah. the questions? Yeah. I, I don't know. I've observed that in my interactions with other coaches where like we're both going back and forth, like trying to like ask yeah. the questions. I think that's just my comfort zone. Yeah, Jacob, I'm supposed to, I'm not supposed <laughs> to be talking about myself, man. You got me talking about stories and my schooling. How dare you? <laughs> it's my podcast. Yeah. Um, no, this, uh, this is a good conversation. So just back to introducing yourself, tell us uh, a little bit more, man, like what, what happened between that, you know, that 
kind of history with, with in getting into rapping, things of that nature to where you're at now? I, mean, I got sober was a big part of it, honestly. <laughs> right, right. Like 16 to 30 for me was just like drinking. Okay. Was kind of my life. Uh, living for the moment. I'm mm-hmm. here for a good time, not a long time was kind of my motto. Yeah. And um, was, it was really tough for my dad because he never drank. And he mm-hmm. never drank because he didn't want his kids to because he had people in his family that did. And he's like, I don't want this for my family. I'm going to set a good example. And so in in high school, when I started just getting drunk, and I think a lot of that is me dealing with trauma of losing my mom at a very early mm-hmm. age and just never really processing it. Um, I think a lot of it was, was based in that and how I responded and just like wanting escapes all the time. Yeah. Um, but it was really hard for him. Like, I'm not doing this. I wanted to set a good example. How did, you know, why are you taking this path? Um, but he never gave up on me. I mean, thank God. And he always was there to support me and, when I hit 30, my wife and I were talking about having kids and I was working entry-level job and I was like, this is not what I want for my life. Like, yeah. I don't want to be here working entry-level jobs the rest of my life. Like, mm-hmm. I was grateful for the opportunity. It was a great company to work for. But I started thinking about what would happen if I started like daily focused on getting better. Yeah. Um, like, I regretted it. At first, when I kind of had this awakening, I, I was like, man, 14 years just like wasted. I didn't mm-hmm. accomplish a lot. You know, I made some good friendships, but like, man, what, what could have happened if I could have, would have been applying myself that time, throughout that time? But then I started thinking forward and like, what happens if I, from now on I make the shift? And I started focusing on what can I do in five years, in 10 years, in 20 years, if I'm just daily and consistently focused on getting better, finding ways to help people, finding ways to develop myself. And um, fortunately, I was able to transition in a pretty short amount of time from an entry-level job to a place where I was consulting leaders at a Fortune 500 company. So it was a incredible blessing. And you know, I'm, I'm happy to, to be where I am now at the chamber. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, the idea of, you know, 1% better every day. I love that idea. Right. Yes. Cause sometimes we think of how can we improve and it's like, Oh dude, that's just way, <laughs> that's way far out there. I can't be hundred percent better, 50% better, even 20% or 10% better, but can you at least try 1% better every day? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's magic when you start focusing on just getting better and not focus, focusing less on like what you want to become. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that there is sometimes a healthy dissatisfaction in not being where you want to be. Yeah. And as long as, it's a, the health, uh, as long as it motivates you to keep moving forward, I think that it's productive. But if you start looking at this thing, like, ah, I'm not there, so why even try? That's where it becomes damaging. And I think so many people focus on like, I want to lose 20 pounds and, and less on I'm going to eat healthy today. I'm going to work out today. Mm-hmm. And I think having that like vision of what you want to be in mind without the things you do today to get there, just, it, it doesn't get you anywhere. It's unproductive for sure. Yeah. You, you know, there's certain things we can learn from the past and there's certain things we can learn from looking to the future. Uh, but if we have an idea of what we can become and and that's it, then it's, it's predictable. So it, what's the point? Yes. <laughs> right. And it lose we lose the magic in, in just trying to improve, you know, every day I'm reading, uh, uh, I don't know if you've ever read man's search for meaning by Victor Frankel. So Victor Frankel, that sounds like a book you would like though. It's really like good everything book. I know about you, just that title. It's like, man, Chris would like, it's really I feel good like if book. I saw that book in a library or I would probably buy it or at a bookstore, like, Chris is going to like this book. <laughs> it's, a, it's a fatty book. Uh, yeah, so Victor Frankl, you know, Holocaust survivor, um, he's a well-known um, psychiatrist, psycho, you know, psychoanalyst, uh, basically dubbed the term logo, logotherapy, which is therapy that when you're facing a challenge or a trial, what gets you through it is finding meaning, right? Mm. And, uh, and 
and who better to write about it than somebody that's a Holocaust survivor? Yeah. And I just got, just this morning, I was listening to the book when I was at the gym, 5 a.m. Jacob, you can join me. I love it. I love it. <laughs> uh, I was listening this morning and he's talking about, um, you know, he's talking about the camp dynamics and then he's now getting into kind of part two of analyzing the, 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 the psychology behind it all. But at the end of his time there, he was in there a little over three years he, you know, everybody, people are dying every day. And if they're not being taken by the gas chambers, they're just dying, you know, dozens a day because they're just exhausted. You know, they have to work all day. They eat a one piece of bread, a very small piece of bread every day and a teeny cup of soup that has barely anything in it. So they're just, they're basically starving. Um, and they have nothing right, uh, to, 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 to live for anymore. Most of them. And he started to notice that that's, especially as he reflect, reflected back on it. And he lived a long, long life after he, you know, he was, he was freed from, from, from the camps, but, uh, he reflects back and he said, these, the people that were dying every day, you know, towards the end were just people that lost meaning and they lost the meaning in life. And, uh, and, and they had plenty of reason, you know, everything that they were holding on to, they felt like. It's it's all gone. There's not gonna be there's not gonna be anything left for me when I get out, um, and uh, and so they were just dying because they literally didn't have any more will or reason to live. Um, but those that that survived with him, they held on to some glimpse of of meaning. And and anyways, to the point that you were making of why I thought of this is because he talks a lot about the past, right? You can't dwell on the past, but you should learn from it. Um, and the future, the way he talks about the future is really interesting because he talks about it as the future is what isn't yet. <laughs> you know, it's it's the possibility of what can be but isn't. It's it's not there yet, right? And I think that's really fascinating. The future isn't real. It's just it's something that's out there that has the potential of becoming. Um, so he focuses on the present and uh, and what we do and the choices that we make every day. You know, are what matters the most. And so he had to constantly make these choices um, of in 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 what you said of, of being better and his circumstances were circumstances. I hope none of us ever have to experience. Um, but it was the same thing for, for him every day. And of course, you know, he became a, a great contributor to that world of, of, of literature and in, in psychology has an amazing book that's changed a lot of lives. And that's essentially the heart of all clinical work is when you're in cases, when you're facing something challenging, you don't run from it. you, face it head on, and then you find meaning in the challenge. In it, I love so. the metaphor you gave at Groundworks of the bison. Like when the, mm, when the storm's the coming, the bison goes into the storm because they know that, that they're going to experience the storm for the least amount of time if, if they do that. Yeah. And that, that's powerful, right? Like sometimes we want to lean away from things that, that we're scared of or sometimes things we know we have to do. Mm-hmm. Like how sometimes we take 10 days to avoid a conversation that's going to take 10 minutes, right? <laughs> like just have the conversation is tough, but like if we lean into it and I think the, what you uh, talked about as far as the why behind it, yeah. sometimes can be a powerful tool to pull us into action. Mm-hmm. Cause if we're more focused on the why than the, whatever our resistance is, um, there's a formula for change, which is to create change. You need three steps. You need a clear next step, a vision of the future, Mm-hmm. And then dissatisfaction. Yeah. And I think a lot of times that why can, can help create that dissatisfaction. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think, you know, you said 14 years, um, you know, that you looked back and thought, you know, were wasted. And I think that 
there's 14 years of some experiences there that you're going to continue to 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 build on and utilize and talking about stories, stories to tell, lessons to share. Um, uh, Victor Frankl in his book, he also says, we have to be worthy. We have to live a life that makes us worthy of the suffering that we go through. And when you think about it that way, it's really interesting. It's like, we have to be worthy of our suffering? What? Yeah. Uh, but he says, the the suffering that we go through um, just ref- refines us, makes us better for what we can become. So we have to live a life worthy of it. Usually the we're the harder the suffering, the 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 better the the outcome can be, the higher the reward, which is a hard thing for people to think about because people suffer every day and it's not a fun thing to say, hey, it could be good for you. That's not an easy thing to say, especially in the moment. But coming from a Holocaust survivor, him saying I had to learn to live worthy of that suffering because it changed who he was. So looking back on those 14 years, not to say that you had some, you know, suffering. I'm sure there was suffering in it as as we all suffer, but but uh but I think there's so much that you can you can learn and share with the world from that because, you know, um, the lessons you learned. And I think that's the gift that came from it is my ability to relate to people mm. and really have optimism when I'm working with somebody that maybe other people have tried to help, but just didn't see the potential. Yeah. I can kind of see some of myself or somebody else that I connected with on this journey of the last four, that 14 years that I went through, or even the last two years for, for me, to be honest, were, were pretty challenging. And I kind of got back into drinking on the weekends. I was like, I'm at home anyways. Might as well like pour a little, make this one a double, you know what I mean? Yeah. And like, um, at the time, like, I, don't know, I guess just yeah, unproductive habits. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think kind of going through some of those struggles, you can kind of see the same, you can see that somebody else going through the struggle, it's not the end. It's just part of the journey. Mm-hmm. And there's still is potential for them to step away from it and, you know, get back on track, whatever that means for that person. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, this is a good conversation, man. We haven't even gotten into the topic today. <laughs> yeah, what is the topic? I thought I was supposed to read that book before I got here. Did I, yeah, read, man, did I why didn't you read it? I sent it. Did no. you send it over? <laughs> no, I wouldn't expect you to read that. That thing's a big book. Um, uh, but I've been, I've been enjoying it. Um, really humbling book, that's for sure. Uh, so anything else, you know, just introducing yourself, you know, I always ask guests, what do you do? And then who are, you know, who are you? Like, yeah. Is there anything to add to that? Who, who is, who is Jacob? Who is Jacob? So what I do, I'm a leadership coaching consultant. Um, I am very passionate about the idea that every single person on the planet has a unique set of skills and mm-hmm. value that they can bring to their team, to their family, mm-hmm. the community. Um, and that we are better when we spend, have a focus of pulling these values out, recognizing the value that people around us bring as opposed to like being immediately critical of people that don't agree with us. I think a lot of times the uh, conflict comes in competing strengths where if one person is like myself, I want to get started now, like, let's go, let's try it. Um, I have conflict sometimes with people that are much slower paced mm-hmm. because they want to stop and think about it. And I'm like, no, like, let's just go. We'll figure it out on the way. Yeah. But the truth is like, we probably complement each other pretty well. Yeah. So I'll help pull them into action when it's time and they'll make sure I look over the cliff before I jump. Yeah. So yeah. there's value there. And I think we, if we have that perspective of just asking ourselves, what is the value this person bring in every interaction? We, we all do better. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good segue into the topic. <laughs> you know, we talked beforehand recording, you know, I, what I wanted to get into, which you're, you're already addressing is, is how do we pull out, you know, ideas and value from those around us? And I thought, you know, we both, uh, have been podcasting for, for a while. Um, and that's what podcasting is, is getting ideas out. Uh, I know you were a host as well for TEDx when it was in Salem, which TEDx, I think their vision is ideas or sharing ideas or something. Uh, 
So, and, and that's obviously what you do as a leadership coach consultant is you want to pull the best out of people and um, pull their potential out. And it always starts uh, a lot of times with an idea. Um, so I've loved podcasting because it's a platform for people to share ideas and thought and, and you're not interrupted. Um, and you don't have to worry about a live audience. I mean, it's just, there's so many pros to it that I really appreciate and love. But the biggest thing for me is, man, there's so many ideas out there that people have so much thought they have going on. And a podcast is an opportunity for me to just pick your brain and pull it out. But then, you know, I want to expound on that. How does it relate to more to leadership? Like what you were just saying is getting the value out of, out of people, what they bring to the table. Um, what would be the benefits in our relationships? you know, personal and professional, our organizations, our community, if we're able to do more of this. So you can kind of take any bit of that and, and just start and run, run with it. Yeah. So you kind of talked about, um, like, how do you pull the, the value out of people? And I think mm -hmm. something I've learned to look for are changes in energy. So if somebody that gets excited about something, like, okay, there's probably something there that's getting them excited. Let's dig in a little deeper and kind of unravel, yeah, you know, yeah. what, what is it about this that's getting this person excited or that they find enjoyment in? But I think also on the other end where somebody kind of gets a little bit less confident, their body language closes off and there's something about what we're talking about that is a little concerning for them. So I think kind of noticing shifts in body language is something I, I try to pay attention to. Um, I think in the podcast world, I'm focused more on the, the uppy energy and the things are getting excited about because that's generally what I want people to talk about, right? The oh, things yeah. that get them excited. And sometimes I even ask that before a podcast interview is like, what are the things you'd be most excited to talk about? Mm -hmm. And if they don't have anything, that's fine. You know, it's kind of up to, for me to, to figure out what that is, but sometimes they'll, they'll give me the cheat sheet, which, which always helps out. Yeah. Yeah. So how does that mentality apply, you know, outside of the podcasting world to people that we work with if we're a leader or in our workplace? Yeah. I think you can um, be, be aware of the, the energy on your team, right? If somebody's coming in and there's something different about them today. That's probably a cue that you need to maybe just have a quick conversation and see what's going well. They're excited about something. They might like to talk about it or something's bothering them. And if something's bothering them and they feel like nobody's there to check in, I guess I'll add this as a little slight tangent, but like we don't always know the, the lives that people go home to on our team. So we don't know if they have people at home that are just tearing them down, that telling them they're not going to amount to anything. Um, you just don't know. And so as a leader, we can do a ton of good in that person's life, which will result in benefits for our team by just taking time to have those conversations and just ask, like, what's on your mind? How are things going? And giving people space to, uh, to communicate what they're feeling. And a lot of times, even though it might seem like, man, how am I going to take 30 minutes out of my day to, to talk to people on my team? Like, we'll save ourselves a ton of headache on the other end and um, be able to get ahead of things and find, a way to, find ways to support people before there are uh, potential negative outcomes on the, uh, at the team level and uh, things that become visible, we can kind of stop it at a, at a small scale by just taking time to really listen and understand where people are, are coming from. And, and I know in Groundwork, we talk, we, you guys talk a lot about seeing somebody deeply, like mm -hmm. seeing people where they're at. And that's such an important element of leadership. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's hard to measure because it's not tangible all the time, you know? Listening to somebody is, I mean, I can say I listen to them, but, but seeing them, especially deeply, um, you can't really measure that. So it's a really tough thing to kind of gauge yourself on. And, 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 uh, and, and there's a lot of challenges that that, that presents. Um, I can run with the measuring thing for a bit. Yeah. Cause I think there are cues we can look for 
But I think we can look at like attendance. We can look at attrition. If people aren't showing up for work, if people are quitting, you know, quicker than they were in the past. And now we're in an interesting time as far as the great resignation. But I mean, these are, these are symptoms of a, a deeper level problem, right? If we have a team of 70 people and 25 decide to quit, you know, in a pretty short amount of time, or, you know, if you're looking at 50 to hundred percent attrition on our team year over year, like that's a problem. And we can probably, we can know for pretty, pretty much, pretty certainly that managers on the, in that organization are not seeing their, their people deeply, which means that the managers probably don't feel seen, mm-hmm. right? Because they're kind of a reflection in a lot of cases of, um, the culture that's being created in the organization. Yeah. Yeah. And how, <clears throat> how, well, one, how hard is it to, we, we throw on the word, especially in our curriculum, we throw around the word seeing people so freely. Those of you that are Arbinger, you know, fans, again, it's just thrown around. And I think it's often misunderstood. It's kind of a hijacked term. Oh, and I just remembered the topic I was going to bring up. Uh, and so, and this relates, this relates because you're talking about what really got my attention is when you said, um, you never know, you know, what people are going home to. And I, I think I might've shared this, shared this quote at the retreat, but, uh, one of my favorite quotes, and it's not word for word cause I don't have it memorized perfectly, but from Henry Longfellow. And he said, uh, you know, uh, if you could, if you, if we knew the secret history, uh, and story of even our greatest enemies, we would find in them enough enough pain and sorrow to disarm all of our hostility. Um, and, and he's talking about our greatest enemies. So the people we work with hopefully are not our greatest enemy. And so what could we find in them? Um, that's not just going to disarm hostility, but that can unleash potential, you know? Um, if that's what happens with our enemies, imagine what can happen with our friends. Uh, so I thought that's what I was thinking of when you said, when you said that. That's perfect though. Yeah. But back to, and I think that relates to the idea of seeing people is, is how, I mean, that's a, that Henry Longfellow quotes a little bit to it, a little bit to the answer this question I want to, I want to ask, same thing with what you just said about listening, but how do we know and how do we see people as, as people? I mean, how do we know? Because I would argue that just because we're listening to somebody doesn't mean that we see them as a person. So what does it really mean to see them as a person? And why is that so important in helping unleash the potential that people have? So how do we know if we are really seeing people? I feel like trust is a result of it. I feel like if people are comf- comfortable in talking to us about the issues they are going through, I feel like generally that is a sign. And I feel like you'd answer this question better than I would, but I'm trying to, trying to do my best here. Um, but yeah, I feel like if people are, are comfortable asking, answering questions that we ask them about them, mm-hmm. if they're comfortable telling us about problems that they're facing, that generally shows that when they talk to you about a problem that they feel like you're actually listening. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's really easy in some cases to dismiss people when they bring us problems because either we don't have the time for it or we don't recognize that this is actually a problem and yeah. somebody is looking for help. Um, and I think sometimes just asking like, this is, it sounds like this is important for you. Like, what can I do to be there to support you? Like those sort of questions, I feel like go a long ways and not assuming what somebody wants. Cause I know I've been a victim of, um, somebody will vent a problem to me and I get immediately into problem solving. Mm-hmm. And then that person doesn't feel heard because like, I didn't really want you to solve this. I got this. I just needed to talk about it. Right. Yeah. So I, I think that just asking people how we can help them and what they need for us, I feel is a good symptom of 
of filling her. But I'm not sure if that exactly answers your question. No, that's great. I mean, that's uh, again, I have, I might have really confusing philosophical ways of answering these questions, but you answer it really straight, which I really love um, because that's true. It, people will fill it, you know? Um, and so if somebody is opening up to us, not in a way, cause there's all those, there's people out there that will just drop their problems on everybody else. And that's not what we're talking about, but people that will truly open up and allow us to see into their lives a little bit. And the, most people aren't willing to do that. So if somebody is willing to do that, it's because they feel they trust you with that information. And I think even that person that like just wants to tell everybody about their problems, I feel like in a lot of cases it's because they feel like nobody's actually mm. listening. Yeah. And so they're just like, I just need to keep talking about this. I just want one person Somebody to tell else. me that like, hey, I get you, I see you, um, I wanna be there for you. But if they don't feel that way, then in a lot of cases, I feel like that's why they continue to like, those, the same problems keep, are continue to be stated because they don't feel like they're, they're heard. Yeah, everybody wants to be heard. Everybody wants to be appreciated and, and understood. That's Is that a sure. song? Everybody wants to be heard, appreciated. Know, everybody wants to be understood. I don't know, it could be though. Which, by the way, will be. side note, um, Jacob's going to be creating a groundwork rap. For Can't us, wait. So when that comes out, it will we'll surely to... go viral. Yes, <laughs> we got to get some. We got to get some names on this we song. Do. We got to get the Beebs. The Beebs. We got to get. <laughs> Kelly Clarkson. Kelly Clarkson <laughs> and the Beebs. Yes. That'll be a good, good mix there. Um, so yeah, I, I want to come to this idea of assumptions. I think I've said this probably multiple times on, on the show, probably talked about it at the retreat. Probably won't be the last few time you hear me say this, but the assuming um, is such a important word because we use it a lot. We assume a lot. And Assuming usually has a, a, a positive connotation with like a positive feel to it when we say assume the best. Um, but what I've learned and a mentor of mine once shared that assuming is fiction, you know, <laughs> in either direction, whether it's assuming the worst or assuming the best, it's fictional. And we ought to not assume and actually go find out the truth. Love that. Uh, and, uh, and I think that applies to what you said is because we can easily assume either the best or the worst with others around us. But at the end of the day, that's fictional. It's not, it might be the truth, but we don't know it. We're just assuming and we're making a guess. Um, and that doesn't get us to a, a space with people. And I use that term intentionally because we talk about the space between a lot in our, in our curriculum. And I think that that's how I would answer, you know, that question, which you, you hit on really you know, practically of this is what it looks like. This is how trust is developed. People feel it. Uh, but when we see people as people, in my opinion, it's when we come to this kind of, um, this reckoning or, uh, uh, this, this coming together, you know, with one another that we're connected to each other, right. Um, that we're not separate, uh, that we actually share a connection with one another. And it's in that connection that we start to find the positive potential that we have, the the opportunities that exist, um, instead of what also happens in that space and that connection, which is conflict and disagreement and all sorts of all sorts of negative things, which which can happen and fill that space between us. But when we see people as people, we realize this amazing connection that we that we share, and uh, I think that's when we start to transcend the day-to-day, the transaction. In fact, I'm reading, you remember in our curriculum, we talk about I, it, I, thou, 
mm-hmm. and that's from Martin Buber, and Buber's the one that dubbed the terms, you know, I, I, thou, which basically in both of those little seg, those little phrases, I'm the I, others are either an it to me or they're a thou. In simpler terms, they're either object or they're person to me. And the hyphen is what connects us. And I'm reading Buber's book called I and Thou. It's really fascinating. And I want your thoughts on this because he talks about how we mostly live in an I it world. And and I it, we find a lot of safety because I it is what gives us structure. It's what gives us organization. It's what it's what helps us, as he says, make sense of time and space, you know? Like we think our I it brain or our way of being that we have towards others in the world is what helps us create order and organization and structure. Um, because when we're in an I thou space, none of those things really matter. Like when you think about uh, somebody who who really has seen you as a person, you felt it. Like think of those moments, like some of the stories that I shared with, you know, with a former guest on the show and you'll get to meet him chat on top of the mountain, you know, that story. Moments like that. It's like time and space kind of stop in those instances. And, and it's a, it becomes a transcendent moment where nothing else matters but this moment with that person. Um, and that's really beautiful, but we, we can't really rely on that every day. It's not where we're having those interactions every single moment of every day. We live in a world where time and space matter <laughs> and order and, and structure matter and, and organization matters. Um, but that's how Buber talks about it, which in some ways kind of is disheartening to me because it's like, well, well, dang it, man, we're always in this we're always seeing others as objects. So how do we transcend that and get out of it? Um, and, uh, and I just wanted your, your thoughts on that. I mean, what is that like in the real world? I talked about it kind of philosophically, but what is that like in the real world? The I, thou? Yeah. Or, I, where I see Compared it, to the I, it. Where I see it a lot is founders, like the hire, hire fast, fire fast mentality. Mm. It's like, you see someone's not a good fit, get them out of here. They're not serving their purpose. And I hate that for a couple of reasons. One is I feel like it does actually make sense in some cases for businesses to operate that way. But as people, I feel like it's a short-term, it's a short-term perspective though, because you're just a hunter at that point and eventually you have nothing left. You have no people left to hunt because they're all going to be, you've already hired and fired them, right? Yeah. That fit this role. Um, but I feel like in the short term, like you do kind of see this, you can potentially see benefits of having that perspective in your organization. Um, but if you're, thinking through like actually seeing people as people in your organization, I, I don't know if you can lose. Like I really don't. I feel like if you have a, a, a decent business model, it doesn't even have to be perfect. Like there's so many just like practical businesses out there, like window cleaning, right? Like you can make a lot of money window cleaning. If you mm-hmm. take care of your employees, you find a salesperson, you take care of them, you develop them, you help people in your organization, like develop skills. Um, I feel like that's where you see long-term success and legacy happen. Yeah by making sure that everybody within your organization feels heard, feels developed, and is treated as a person mm-hmm. who gets sick, who has to take time off to visit family, who needs to go on a vacation, who has to leave early unexpectedly every now and then, like life happens. And I think in those moments when life happens, we really can show who we are as leaders. And we show like what's most important, this job you're supposed to complete, or you as a person, and me understanding that you have priorities outside of my business. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I love when you put it that way, it it sounds so obvious and almost silly that we would expect to believe anything different. I mean, wouldn't it be something to just consider the people that you work with? Hey, they have families and needs and other things outside of their their work life. Yeah. And uh, 
do those matter to you? Yeah. Right? Uh, I had this conversation with a client very recently where they like, had somebody on their team that something came up and they had this workload that they already were behind on and they're going to go to this event. They're going to go to dinner, then like do something with their yeah. family. And they were not happy. Like they have all this work to do and they're going to do this tonight. It's like, this is just a job for them, man. Like they're here and then they're going to leave. Like you're going to have to figure out another solution because it's not realistic expectations. You're going to find somebody that's just going to drop everything yeah. for your business. Like they're, it's not, it's their business. It's not your, it's not their business. It's your business. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I think that the reason why, what maybe prevents us from just making it that simple is I've learned, especially working in conflict is that human beings, we learn on the, the fringes, the extremes, <laughs> like our mind immediately goes to, well, if I, if I let them do this, then I'm going to lose all control and people are going to take advantage of me every day. Yes. <laughs> and it's yes. like, we, we go to the extreme, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that's where we try, that's where we learn. Like we, we make decisions out there when in reality, if it's, if I'm looking at a continuum, most of life happens in, in the middle somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but our brain goes there. It's like, well, if I do this, then all these horrible things are going to happen. Yeah. And it prevents us from making a, you know, the, the right decision. You're absolutely right, man. There's yeah. that scare. There's that, if I, yeah, if I give an inch, they're going to want a mile. Mm-hmm. Like, well, just don't, you can't assume that with everybody yeah. because I definitely have the conversation on the other end where somebody is getting taken advantage of. There's no accountability that will just as quickly kill a team's culture. Yeah. Like you have to have those conversations as well. It's just, that's not going to be the first conversation we have. Like, let's see what's actually happening. Let's try to understand the situation. Let's coach where it's necessary. There's probably some skill development that we can focus on to help this person be better in their role as opposed to immediately like, all right, you drop the ball out. Yeah. Right. It just doesn't work. Yeah. And when I was at Arbinger and I would have these conversations with, with uh, organizational leaders all the time, it, I always would say people will see themselves out at the door, actually. Like you just stick to, to creating the, the culture that, that you want to have, the expectations, staying true to yourself and doing the right thing. People will see themselves out the door. So you'll find out pretty soon who's yeah. taking advantage of you. It's very rare that I have a client that somebody doesn't quit within like the first two months of me working with them. Because now all of a sudden this leader's having the conversations around like, hey, there are expectations of this job. And to your point, like they're like, I don't want this. I'm yeah. out of here. Yeah. I don't want to work and have expectations. I want to show up when I want to show up. And yeah, they'll they'll find the door, right? Yeah. And and it and that doesn't mean it has to be a nasty thing. It could be a mutual thing. And it's yeah. like, all right, well, I want you to go find what's best for you. Absolutely. You know, but uh but I think we might avoid those conversations because we worry too much and, 100%. and maybe we'd actually make the wrong decision and then they do leave but it's this nasty thing and yeah it doesn't have to be absolutely yeah mutual beneficial usually usually if it's not working for the employer it's probably not working for the employee either yeah because if they're not doing a good job like nobody wants to wake up and do something they're terrible at every day mm-hmm. like nobody wakes up and like i'm gonna go be bad at my job today <laughs> you're gonna suck today <laughs> yeah sounds like a good idea yeah <laughs> see you hon i'm gonna suck today <laughs> That just doesn't happen, right? We got to figure out what's getting Have in the way. Have fun today, Chris. I hope you fail. <laughs> I know you will. Have fun failing today, Chris. <laughs> I know you will because you did yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I want to go back to this element just real quick because I had this thought that came to mind and I'd love to hear your response. Um, you know, this this connection that we have. And it just goes to the point you just made is both both sides, you know, if it's not good for the employee, it's not good for the employer. When you've cultivated the space between and that relationship and that connection, you know it. I mean, you know whether it's good for the employee or not, and they know whether it's good for the employer or not. You don't have to guess. There's no assumption because you spent your time creating, cultivating that space between. But I want to go back to what you said 
people open up, they share things, they get vulnerable. And I want to talk about the benefit and not that we do it for a benefit as, as leaders, but there's a benefit. And I was just reading this, uh, spoiler alert for next month, next week's session, we're going to be talking about servant leadership and I've been diving into the literature and, um, there's this part of the literature that talks about one of the characteristics of, uh, servant leaders is, is they just put it as healing. Like they, they create these healing conversations and, and these opportunity for, for people to improve and overcome their their challenges and then their struggles but it says on what happens is leaders end up actually going through the same process as well so we it goes back to what you said earlier we improve right we get better every day but we even experience this this healing in our own right when we're focused on helping somebody else actualize and become better so talk to me about that i mean especially as somebody that has dedicated their life to helping people improve and and better themselves and quote unquote heal, how has that helped you get better, improve, and heal? Yeah, I think as a leader, that is it's kind of the goal is like figure out how do I get better at helping other people get better? I, I don't, I want to make sure I understand your question. Can you maybe rephrase it? I apologize. Yeah. So, you know, it, this idea of servant leadership is, you know, putting the needs of your followers above your own. And, uh, and when you do that, you help them overcome their their challenges their their difficulties their weaknesses even if it extends beyond the workplace which we've talked about a little bit that people have lives when they leave the office yeah uh and 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 servant leaders really help their their employees kind of heal right and i use that with my fingers as quotation marks meaning they can they can overcome their challenges but what the research has found is that when servant leaders do that they actually go through changes themselves and heal themselves and, and overcome their challenges and their weaknesses. So I'm interested in what you've learned in helping others do that, overcome. Uh, how has it improved you and helped you overcome? I'm trying to think of a time where I helped somebody else and then I'm reflecting on, okay, what was the, uh, what was the takeaway for me in that situation? Mm -hmm. um, because I do feel like it's almost like the question of like, is it self-serving to help others? Because now I'm focused on like, it, it gives me fulfillment, if that makes sense. And I think sometimes I do, um, I don't know if I struggle with that, but I definitely think about it where I am doing these things, but for this person, but I'm really doing it because I know it's going to help performance on their team, mm. which is important for me because I want to get a promotion at work. Yeah. Right. And I think sometimes it's, it's kind of a slippery slope where you kind of fall into that and I think people can feel it. We're like, this person's only doing these things because they know it's going to help them out. Um, but I think when you can really, and I think where I've struggled in my life, and I think that I'm much better at it now than I have been in the past, is being genuinely, genuinely happy for other people to win. Yeah. And understanding that like their success does not take away from my success. Um, them getting this thing that even if it's the same thing I'm after, like them getting it, it doesn't necessarily like, make me less of a person um, it, it doesn't, it's not saying anything about me. Like their victory is not my loss necessarily. Right. Like I can let them enjoy the victory. I can be happy for them. Um, whether it's a peer, whether it's somebody that I just know, whether it's somebody that I'm, I'm in competition with, like another like leadership consultant in Salem, huh. like I've realized like, you know what, we can have more than one leadership coach in Salem. Like that's fine. I can promote them because every client that's good for me is not necessarily going to be good for them. And we're both going to be better if we're partnering together. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think, um, I think the benefit 
trying trying to tie it back to the question now because I'm kind of on this tangent. Um, But I think the benefit is just understanding how helping other people, setting the example of helping other people, um, we're we're all better. The more people that can set that example, demonstrate how to do it, a raised high lifts all ships, and we're we're all going to be better because of it. Yeah. Well, I think you I think you you answered the question with the, the the way you responded because the healing that we just might go through as a leader is the the realization of what you just said. The realization that that uh, it doesn't have to be about me, and maybe I make things about me far too often. But as as I give myself to this other person, um, I change. <laughs> so I stop thinking. I I start thinking less about myself, um, and that's okay, right? Again, we think on the extreme. So we think, well, if I don't think about myself, then you know, how am I going to take care of X, Y, Z? Who's going to? Yeah, and and we have a panel next week at the at the session, and one of the questions I'm going to ask the panel is a core principle and. I don't know how we got on the servant leadership, but we're on it now. So, <laughs> but one of the core principles of servant leadership is, and this is what the literature says, is the leader puts the needs, whether it's tasks, objectives, anything, of their of them of of others above their own, and that's a that's a you know that's an interesting thing to think about because that's saying that. Uh, I'm going to put your needs over my own, which means I have my own objectives and tasks I need to fulfill, but but I'm a servant leader, so yours are going to be ahead of mine. And in a world where there's trends on self-care and and all sorts of things like that and and you know, creating a brand, things of that nature, it's really tough to actually deploy servant leadership in that way because even the concept of seeing people, the way that Arbinger talks about it for example is we both matter the same. So my needs matter just as much as your needs. Mm-hmm. Servant leadership is saying, no, your needs matter more than my needs. And the history of servant leadership, and I don't mean to get um, spiritual religious, but the history of servant leadership, Greenleaf discovered it, and he made it very academic and secular, but he studied Jesus Christ when he learned when he yeah. servant leadership. And that was his MO, was yeah. I'm going to put everybody else's needs above my own. No, I talked about this in a podcast. I did another podcast this morning. Okay. Um, my friend, Chad Harms, he has a podcast where he talks to people about their testimonies. Yeah. And so I did an interview with him like six years ago. And then we did one today, kind of like a recap of like last six years, what's happened. Because he finally released a podcast like two mm. weeks ago. So it's been, um, but I talked about that example of like, Jesus is like the ultimate example of servant leadership. He literally gave everything Everything. for his people. Yeah. 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 And that, and that's the, that's the fear, but I think the healing comes in what you learn from doing that. You know, there's things about yourself that you learn that you can live without, that you don't need this, this, uh, self-justifying image that I need, you know, I'm this way or I need this or I have to do that. You learn things about yourself. You learn what you can let go of. And one of your fellow classmates right now and friends, Colin Box, he was on the show a while back and we talked about servant leadership and the topic was, what are you willing to let go of as a leader? Mm. Um, because that's really something to think about. Uh, you know, they're seeing people as people and then there's like love that the only way I can explain it as a Christian is Jesus type love. You yeah, know, it's like, yeah. I will sacrifice this for you. Yeah. That's a that's the next level, but that's what servant leadership's really getting at. And I think that 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 the term servant leadership can be hijacked because we think it's just about serving 
the people around you. It's well, deep down, it's actually, you're going to care about the needs of others more than your own today. Yes. And that's deeper than seeing somebody as a person. Something that, um, as you're talking about seeing people as people and not objects, it's making me think of something that I hate. I'm not sure how much time you spent in like corporate culture, but they have these like stack ranks where it's just like all the peers, Mm -hmm. everybody's supposed to be on the same team, Yeah, but they become competition because like everything is based on like your place, a Uh position based off these KPIs. Uh-huh. And it is like the most damaging thing that a company could do. I honestly can't think of anything that would be more damaging than just having these stack rankers that people are just like competing against each other. They don't want to share best practices because oh, now I'm going to give it to my competition or they're going to beat me. So they're going to like get promoted faster or whatever, like the result of the stack ranker is. But I think that in organizations, we really need to look at like how we're measuring success because it is probably either helping people see each other as people or is preventing them from doing so based on the incentives that they have. Yeah. Well, uh, I love that example. When I was at Arbinger, one of my main roles was, was sales. And, uh, and, uh, there was this month where we were, there was quarter, we were tracking behind hitting our quota. There's just a small team of us, like four, four sales people. And, and, uh, we were, we were behind. So one of the VPs, you know, over sales, like, Hey, we got to rally together. We got to come together. We can do this. And so we went out and worked and, and I just started killing it, dude, like just selling left and right, closing big deals. And, you know, you can see in our software, like here's my name and here's the other yep. other guy's names. And my revenue was just increasing, increasing for the month. <laughs> Nobody else's was. Yeah. And uh, and we hit our quota by the end of that month for the whole quarter. And no thanks to me. <laughs> <laughs> no, and seriously, I, 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 you know, made up the difference for, for uh, basically the whole team. And I remember sitting in our meeting at the end of the quarter where, you know, our boss is like, well done, everyone we did this. We came together yeah. and I'm sitting there with my arms folded thinking, what like, you mean? We like, <laughs> anybody going to clap or say, thank you. You know, but what's funny, <laughs> what's funny about this though, is he told me multiple times in that month time frame, yeah, like, dude, you're killing it. You're doing such a good job, but there's something about me that just wanted yeah. that public recognition. But to build on that is, I kept doing that. Like I kept performing really well. Like we had this, <laughs> we had this saying where if you like reached over hundred thousand in sales during the month that you, uh, like the, the guy's name that we worked with to not disclose his name, we'd say, Bob, you just yeah. bobbed today. Yeah. You know? But if you doubled that, it became, you panetted like oh. that, like that's how, <laughs> like that's how consistent I was becoming. And man, it took me all the way until I almost like right before I left Arbinger to realize I had figured something out yeah. and I wasn't sharing it with people. Mm. Like I had figured out a way to sell pretty hard thing to sell because it's Arbinger, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, you're talking about seeing people as people with, with people. And so it's, it's not like you're selling them this really tangible product. And, and I had actually figured out this process of, of selling it from selling from how I managed my pipeline to yeah. how I did everything. And, uh, and I just wasn't sharing it. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so I, I was victim of that, man, because I I'm liked, so glad to know this because I, I like seeing my bar, the biggest yeah, bar yeah. on that. Cause you're a competitive guy, but we don't, I don't see it a ton like in, in where I see you, the spaces that I see you. Cause I see you as like humble person, like sharing everything about you, getting super <laughs> vulnerable. So it's kind of nice to see this other side of like, I'm just going to do what it takes to win. I don't care. Oh dude. If you, <laughs> if you, if you were my family or people close to me, that's, yeah, you I, see I, it. I joke with Seth. Do you remember Seth? Yeah. Uh, I always joked with him because I'm like, dude, I'm an Arthur at heart, man. <laughs> and the only reason why 
I am a, as he called it, integral process leader or a Merlin or a Gandalf. Yeah. Is because my education has kind of taught me to do that. I studied, listen, I mean, I studied peace building in my undergrad. Yeah. I studied conflict resolution, negotiation in my master's and now psychology. So <laughs> it's taught me to like slow down, mm-hmm. be reflective, create space. Yeah. But in my heart, it's like, no, I'm going to be the best. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm always first. I'm, I'm going to be, I'm gonna I'm be a, the most peaceful. Yeah. I'm going to be the most humble. Yeah. So that's a, that's a thing, part of me that I always am battling and, and struggling. But uh, yeah, somebody else who's in the cohort, Rhonda, we were talking about personality traits or something. And um, she's like, yeah, probably everybody sees you as being really friendly. Right, Jacob? And I'm like, talk to my wife because she's the one that sees me when I'm super tired, when I'm hungry, when I'm like just venting about somebody that I had a, a negative interaction with. So yeah, the people at home definitely see, oh, yeah. see us. Yeah. Wives, husbands, spouses, partners, whoever they are, man, they... They know, they know the, the real us. And, and, and that makes me love, you know, Kenzie even more, my wife, because she's seen me at my absolute worst. Yeah. And somehow she still keeps <laughs> Amen to that, man. Like, I, I, yeah. Like a saint, man. Yeah. Like, I don't yeah. know. But, you know, we, I guess we do it back. I do it back for her, you know. I'm seeing her at her worst, but she's still, you know, one of the greatest people I know. I so. snore so bad. I don't think I, my wife has slept a full night and like since we've been married and like she's still with me. I've tried all these things. It hasn't worked. So the strips, the, they don't, I don't know, man. <laughs> dude, my parents are on the full on machine. I need to get that, man. I need to just make that happen. Yeah. I've been all right. Tangent. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> that's what we, that's what we wanted today was, uh, <laughs> how to prevent snoring. Yeah. No, well, we're coming to a, a close of the, the episode, but this has been good. We've, we've bounced over on, on, on a bunch of different things, but they're all been connected to this general theme of getting the most out of people in turn that, that helps us progress, get, that's not why we do it. I like that you pointed that out. Um, if that's why we do everything, then we have to kind of reassess our motives. Uh, but it's not easy to get the most out of people. It's not easy to get the most out of a relationship. It requires effort, requires work. Um, and it's sometimes is, is a little painful, you know, like we were talking about workout regimens before we started recording and, it's still, I've been waking up at four thirty, five o'clock every day for, oh man, I don't know how many years, been a lot of years now. Incredible. And every morning it still sucks. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. every morning I don't want to wake up <laughs> every morning. I just want to keep sleeping. And, and fortunately I've, you know, created a habit and the power of habit is, is a, is a powerful thing. Yeah. But, uh, but man, every morning it sucks. And, and so these things aren't supposed to be easy, you know, to pull, to get potential out of those around us, to get potential our, our, to achieve our, accomplish our potential. None of it's easy, but, um, but man, it really unleashes some incredible opportunities Truth. Uh, and uh, transformative opportunities. You know, if you were to ask me four years ago, if I'd be doing this, I'd say, no way. Not a chance. I mean, just seven, eight years ago, I thought I was going to be a highway patrolman. <laughs> there you go. It's serious. Man. man, okay. I did all the testing. I finished my undergraduate uh, maybe a little bit longer than seven years ago. And and I'm like wanting to do my master's, but I'm a peace builder. How do I build peace in the world? Yeah. And I was going back and forth between things. I realized that nobody wants to hire a peace builder. And I wasn't mature enough to really connect how those things apply to anywhere you go. Right. Okay. And so I was just like, there's nothing I can do. And I was starting to work with Arbinger, but I was basically working for free, trying to start a new industry for them. And just nothing was really going my way. And I was about to give up on the, on the purpose, you know, my why that I shared with you guys at the, the, uh, the retreat to, you know, to give my heart to, to God and to help spread peace 
wherever I'm at and be an influence for good. I was about to give up on that. Like, mm. screw that. I'm just going to war. I'm just going to go get a job in sales. Yeah. I'm going to do summer sales because yeah. I, I know I'm good at that. There you go. Uh, but I was like, no, I can, how can I build peace? Oh, law enforcement. I went up to Washington. I was living in Utah at the time. I went up to Washington state, did all their testing, everything, man, like written test, lie detector test, physical test scored like highest in all of those categories. They now call the top score, the Panetta score. Yeah. The Panetta score. They're like, you got to beat this. Yeah. Uh, I got denied, man. Straight up denial. Whoa. Like, nope, you're not accepted. And you know, we don't want you to apply again. <laughs> and uh my Do they say why or did you even ask? They don't say why. Um they say that uh you know they're not gonna tell anybody that you were denied, but they don't say why. And I don't mind sharing. Uh my connection there was my brother in law's dad. He was a captain there for a long time. He was actually the captain over HR, so he oversaw the hiring. So yeah, he knew yeah. all about it. He's like, Man, you were the perfect candidate. The only reason they deny somebody like that is if they find something in your history that's like really intense, like human mm. trafficking or something. Yeah. And I'm like, well, I haven't done any of that. Yeah. And so uh, he said, well, you know, every once in a while this would happen where it was, it was, uh, you know, it's one in a million times they make a mistake and they probably just made a mistake on yours. Uh, and I was so mad. I was so frustrated. Yeah. It's ridiculous. You know? But now looking back, I'm so grateful because I wouldn't be here, yeah. you know, uh, I wouldn't be here doing this. Not to say that anything's bad about being a highway patrolman, but I, I honestly can't believe that I actually was thinking about doing that. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, I, I just wouldn't be here and I certainly probably would have given up on my, my, uh, my why, you know? Um, and, uh, uh, it, there was no greater sign than that denial that was like God telling me like, dude, mm. what are you doing? Like, don't, yeah. do, don't do that. Like I, Wrong path. Yeah, it there's another, a, another wasn't path a mistake for you. at all. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I appreciate you joining the show, man. Um, again, this has been fun. First fellow podcaster. We've we, had and we need you on ours now. We need you on this emerging, sale of emerging yeah, leader I'll, podcast. I'll, yeah, I'll come Next. on anytime. Man. All right. Uh, but what are your kind of closing, what are your closing uh, remarks, closing statement, closing thoughts? What do you think? I don't know. Be nice to people. <laughs> just be nice to people. Start there. If you don't know where to start, like just start there. Whoever's in front of you, the next time you have an interaction, just give a little extra effort to, to be kind to listen, you know, to, to where they're at, see them for who they are and remind yourself that there's a story that brought this person mm. to where they are. And if you can, can understand that story or even just show that you care, I mean, this world's going to be a better place. Just one interaction at a time. And the other thing, stop arguing with people on Facebook. Like just <laughs> don't do it. Just don't, do don't it. argue with anybody on Facebook. I promise you nothing good is going to come from it. You're not going to change somebody's heart or change somebody's mind based on your logic to an argument on Facebook. You're going to get stressed. It's a waste of your time. Just don't do it. Those are my two final thoughts. Those are great. Those are great. We didn't need to record this hour long podcast. We could have just had you say those two things. Just plug that in the front. Yeah. Like that's amazing. (laughs) The world would change if we just would understand that people have a secret story that got them to where they're at. And if we just stopped arguing Stop on Facebook. Stop arguing on Facebook. Don't even read the comments. If all arguments stopped on social media and Facebook tomorrow, the world would 25% 25% better at oh, least man huge yeah. jump well I love that uh, listeners hope you enjoyed this uh, this episode appreciate Jacob and all that you're doing in the community look forward to just getting to know you more throughout the year and maintaining a friendship you know uh, even beyond that so 5am workout yeah I really look forward to that man <laughs> love it uh, but thanks for listening everyone uh, you know lots to think about lot to contemplate on until next time take care be safe <laughs>